You're listening to audio from Citizens Church, located in Plano, Texas. For more information about this ministry or to give to this ministry, please visit citizenschurch.com. Church, will you thank Jericho for sharing this story? Thank you, friend. That was beautiful. If you have a Bible, uh, make your way to the book of Proverbs. Uh, We're in a series on wisdom, and I want to offer two truths this morning from Proverbs. As you're turning there, I do want to say, uh, forgive me for the coughs and sniffles. I have a bit of a head cold, so bear with me. This is not me trying to sound like Batman. I'm just feeling (laughs) a little off. Um, The two truths that we're considering this morning are, are truths that we Uh, consider every January as a church. Uh, We'll just look at them through the the lens of wisdom. And so uh, if you've been here for some time, you know there are some things that we talk about uh, often, but especially give attention to uh, in the month of January. So here are the two truths. The wise honor the image of God in all people, and the wise help the vulnerable. Uh, Wise people treat all people with dignity, uh, including those different from them, and wise people help vulnerable people. It's really important with where we're going this morning, friends, that we start um, by uh, being led by God's word straight into the heart of God. So I want to consider a couple of passages that are going to uh, highlight something that is true about our God that we need to be reminded of. Psalm 146, 7 and 9, it'll be behind me. Speaking about God, it says this, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord watches over the sojourner. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. Uh, There's a group of people that you'll often see um, grouped together in the Old Testament, and we see all of them here. It's the widow the orphan, the refugee, and the poor. It's what the Bible Project guys call the quartet of the vulnerable. Uh, Each of them is in their own unique vulnerable state of life. So a widow who's lost a husband, especially in this time when this proverb is, when when the psalm is written, uh, she was especially vulnerable, easy to take advantage of, maybe needed uh, to be cared for. An orphan is someone who has no mom to care for me, no dad to provide for me, no home to raise me. The sojourner was a refugee, a stranger in a foreign country. They likely fled their home country for looking for refuge. The poor is the hungry, the in need, with little to no resources, little to no way to provide for themselves. And what is God's heart for them? He cares for them. He executes justice. He watches over the refugee. His eyes are on them. He upholds the widow and the orphan, those who have no one on earth to hold them. God holds them. This is who our God is. Jericho mentioned Ezekiel 34. What's happening is God's people have been neglected. They've been exploited. They've been mistreated by their leaders, and they're like a scattered, wounded sheep, it says. And and God speaks to the leaders and says, what you failed to do, I will do. Ezekiel 34, 16, I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak. In other words, I will be the shepherd you were supposed to have. I'll be your healer. I'll be your helper because I am your good and compassionate God. This is who our God is. Proverbs 15, 25, the Lord tears down the house of the proud, but maintains the widow's boundaries. You know what it means? It means if you try and take advantage of a widow, you'll have to go through God. He maintains 
protects, guards her home. This is who our God is. Jericho read Proverbs 22.2, the rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is maker of them all. It means that um, in a world that makes distinctions between people based on uh, who has a lot and who doesn't, in a world that makes distinctions between people based on differences, uh, God sees people and he does not see them based on those kinds of differences. He sees people he created. He sees people he's formed. The Lord is the maker of them all. And so, friends, this is our God. If we were to peer with these passages into the heart of God, he's made all people in his image. He cares about those in need. He sees and speaks up for vulnerable people. And so what undergirds all that we're about to look at is that this is God's heart. And, and God expects his people, you, me, us, to have his heart. He has entrusted to his people the sacred task of treating people like he does. Um, there are things that my children care about because I care about them. They saw me care about these things. So th there's affections that I have that I've passed down to them. So they root for Dallas sports teams because I do, right? And the rollers are praying that the Lord would give us favor this afternoon around 530. And... All God's people said, amen. Um, my son asked me recently how old until he gets to start drinking coffee. And he's asking because I love coffee, love good craft coffee. Like if, um, if idolizing something is right here, I love coffee way up here. It's like a problem. Um, and so he watches me make coffee every morning, and, and he's like, Dad, when can I do that? In fact, he told me a story that there was a, a kid who came to school with a drink that was filled with, like, whipped cream and milk and sugar. And someone said to this kid, hey, what are you drinking? And he said, coffee. And my son heard all that and said, that's not coffee. <laughs> I was so proud of that. There are things that they love because they saw me love them first. There are ways in which I've passed down my loves to them. They have inherited their father's affections for some things. And so around those things, you could see them. You could see them caring about things that I care about, and, and you could say, oh, that's Jamin's son. Or you could see them caring about those things and say, oh, that's Jamin's daughter, because you see their father's affections reflected in their life. Our Father in heaven loves people. He loves people. And so we, as his children, should long to be a people who reflect our Father's affections, where others can see the love of God in our lives towards people made in his image, where others can see our love for people who are hurting and needy, and they can say, oh, that must be God's son. That must be God's daughter, because I see the love of their Father in them. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God, because in their peacemaking, they will look like they belong to their Father in heaven. So friends, if you've been around, you know, church, that this isn't an area where we want to be faithful. We really want to be faithful as a church in this. Um, for the last several years, every January, we've taken at least one Sunday, sometimes more, to, to give all of our attention to a few specific things, things like caring for the poor, caring for refugees, contending for the life of the unborn, loving and caring for pregnant women, condemning the evil of racism, contending for diversity and unity in the church. And this is that Sunday. And why we do that is because of the heart of our God, because what we can stand on Scripture with confidence and say 
is our Father loves all those people. Our Father loves the poor and the unborn and the refugee and the pregnant and scared. And he loves people of all classes and colors and every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And so we want to have his affection, his heart for all that. It's his heart that shapes our hearts to care. And so hear me. Some of what I just said are things that are talked about a lot through a political lens. Some of what we just are what we're going to talk about are things that are highly politicized in our world right now. And so there's a chance that some of us hear some of the things that, that I'm saying and hear what I'm not saying because we're so conditioned to hear these things a certain way and to draw conclusions and all that. So please hear me. That's not what we're doing. We're not having a political conversation. We trace our concern for these things. We don't trace our concern for these things back to our political affiliation. We trace our concern for these things back to our Father's affections and our allegiance to King Jesus. And so I've said this before. I'll say it again. Citizens' Church is theological, not political. Uh, we don't endorse parties. We don't platform politicians. We don't give stump speeches. The official political position of Citizens' Church is Jesus is king. Jesus is king. He doesn't win votes. He changes hearts. His uh, platform is an empty tomb and an occupied throne, and he simply will not lose. God says he gives him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I believe being thoughtful and politically active as a member of society is important. But as Christians, what we always have to drive a stake in the ground around is that our first and final allegiance is to Jesus. And so we're talking about these things as citizens of the kingdom that will never end. Proverbs has so much to say around this. We want to see all this through uh, wisdom's lens. It's another one of those Sundays where I'm going to uh, put a lot of collection of Proverbs in front of us. And if I were to categorize those into two points, it's these. The wise honor the image of God in all people, and the wise help the vulnerable. Proverbs 14.31, it'll be on the screen behind me. Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker. But he who is generous to the needy honors him. Proverbs 17.5, whoever mocks the poor insults his maker. He who is glad at calamity will not go unpunished. Proverbs 29.13, the poor man and the oppressor meet together. What a powerful verse. The poor man and the oppressor meet together. The Lord gives light to the eyes of both. Proverbs 22.2, the rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is maker of them all. Uh, the subject of these Proverbs is the treatment of the poor uh, by those who are not poor. So, so in mostly they are addressing the unjust way that the poor are treated. And so remember, poor here is not just no money. It's a class of vulnerable people. The poor could be poor for any number of reasons. It could be uh, the widow, the orphan, the refugee, those in need, those who have been left poor because of some unjust circumstance that happened to them. So you get verses like this that kind of, drive this sad reality home. Proverbs 30, 14 says, there are those whose teeth are swords, whose fangs are knives, to devour the poor from off the earth, the needy from among mankind. So there's this sad reality in the world where the strong will prey on the weak, and it describes them as predators, like an animal hunting something vulnerable with teeth and fangs to devour the needy. And that's the, the circumstance that it holds up. Those who oppress, or even just those who mock, those who, who, who uh, maybe more passively treat the poor unjustly. 
And then what these verses do is they hold up a truth that these people have forgotten. There's a truth that they're denying. There's a couple things repeated. The word maker is mentioned three times in the verses we read. It refers to God, namely God as creator. And so it's, it's saying everyone is someone created by God. Then there's this phrase, meet together. Your translation might say uh, they share this in common. Some translations say uh, this is common ground. So the poor man and the oppressor stand on common ground. What's the common ground they stand on? The Lord gives light to the eyes of both. So what does God want the oppressor to remember? What does God want uh, the the person uh, who mocks to remember? What does God want the rich to remember? He's not simply saying, stop doing that. It's wicked, even though it is. He holds them accountable to a truth that they're defying. And here's the truth. We all stand on common ground before our creator. We all have a shared source of life, and that shared source of life is a holy God. And those made in God's image, all of us have shared dignity and equal footing. So no one, no one is more valuable than anyone else. And these passages, they go beyond don't devour the poor, and they hold us to a higher standard of being wise and living well. Treat everyone as someone who's made by God. I love the phrase in 29.13, the Lord gives light to the eyes of both. It's a metaphor. It means God has given life to both. Wisdom says here to the rich... Um, to the mocker, to the oppressor, you saw someone who is different from you. You saw someone who is weaker than you, and what you should have seen is someone whose eyes were opened by the same God who opened yours. This is a truth that we're all called to submit our lives to. Here's what you could do. Here was my reaction to some of these, honestly. Read through some of these, especially, you know, the passages about fangs and knives, and it's like, okay, I've, I've never done that. I've never prayed on people like that. I've never devoured the needy. And praise God. But wisdom would have us consider a truth here, friends, that it holds up in these verses. And maybe if it would ask it as a question, it would be this. Is there anyone who I fail to see as someone made by God? Is there a kind of person that I especially need to see as someone whose eyes were opened by the same God who opened mine? Because we could fill the proverb in with different categories and it's still true. Rich and poor meet together, the Lord is maker of them all. White and black meet together, the Lord is maker of them all. Ugandan, American, Puerto Rican, Italian, Colombian, even Californian meet together. And I'm just, that was unfair. <laughs> that was for you, Jeff Saladin, wherever you are. Think about it. A citizen and immigrant meet together, the Lord is maker of them all. Me and my cultural, political enemy meet together. The Lord is maker of them all. We're living in in divided times. Dr. John Perkins says about our current moment, this generation is the first to turn hate into an asset, using hatred of others who don't look like us or think like us or believe like us, and then leveraging that way, leveraging that hate in some way to our own benefit. And that's a sin that's as old as sin itself. So much sin in the heart comes out as seeing others through the lens of our own image. So I see someone who's a different economic status, different color, different ethnicity, different background, different struggles, different belief. I have what they don't. They have what I don't. And then I withhold from them or despise them or devalue them or ignore them because I don't see me in them. And God says, I've given light to their eyes just like I've given light to yours. And when you don't see your image, I still see mine, God says. 
The wise honor the image of God in all people. The wise don't discriminate. They don't dehumanize. And friends, what we've said around here for years is in a divided world, the people of God should be distinctly different. Because we, we, are, um, we are held accountable by the truth that all people are created in God's image. But then also we hold in our hands and in our hearts the very power of the reconciling gospel of Jesus Christ. Over and again, the Bible is going to affirm the dignity of every human. And then through Jesus on this side of the cross, it holds out a way for all people to be reconciled. James writes a letter in the New Testament in chapter 2. He talks about not showing partiality. He calls the rich and the poor to come together on the shared basis of the rich love that God has lavished into both of their hearts. Paul writes over and again, letter after letter, about how the gospel of Jesus has torn down the hostility that exists between Jew and Gentile. It reconciled people to God, and the gospel reconciles people to one another. So in this room right now, in this room right now, for those of us who bear the name of Christ, we stand on the common ground of being made by God, and we stand together at the cross of Christ. We're doubly bonded together. Our feet doubly planted in these truths. We are God's creation and we are God's redeemed children. And outside of the walls of this church, the way of the world is to only love those that I see myself in. But here, because of Jesus, we can love those that we see the image of God in and we can love one another as brothers and sisters because we see Christ in one another. And what I believe, church, is that our Father's affections are most visible in a people like us not as we grow in likeness toward one another, but as we grow in love for one another, especially in spite of differences, that someone could observe. Someone could see our gathering. Somebody could observe us in worship together. Somebody could observe us in community together and see they don't all look the same. There's a lot that they don't have in common, but there's a shared love for Jesus that unites us, not in likeness of appearance, but in unity of heart. And the only kind of response to that would be, oh, they must be God's children. They must have their, they inherited their father's affections because only God's children love like that. The wise honor the image of God in all people and the wise help the vulnerable. Here's another collection of Proverbs 21.13. Whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. Pay attention to the metaphors. Uh, Whoever closes his ear. Proverbs 28, 27. Whoever gives to the poor will not want, but he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. 29, 7. The righteous care about justice for the poor, but the wicked have no such concern. Proverbs 31, 9. Open your mouth. Judge righteously. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. Proverbs 31.20, she opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. There's a, a phrase in one of the passages we just read that needs a little bit of attention. The righteous care about justice for the poor. Something that's really important to know is the Old Testament uses the word justice over 400 times. Uh, And sometimes it means retributive justice, which is the justice that I'm familiar with. When I hear the word justice, like the law and order intro music just plays in my head, right? And it's like a judge and somebody gets arrested and there's a sentence or something like that. And, and, And that's somebody being held accountable for doing wrong. And that is just. And the Bible talks about that. And that's a retributive justice. But justice also means restorative justice in the Old Testament. And it's when the righteous... The godly, the wise, 
work on behalf of the vulnerable to meet needs, to restore fortunes, to, to help fix something that's wrong. And of, of the 400 times justice is mentioned, the majority of them are talking about the restorative kind. What we see in this passage is, is two kinds of responses to those in need. Uh, there is the just response and then there's the unjust response. There's a foolish response and then there's a wise response. So you have those who close their eyes in 21.3, uh, or yeah, close their ears in 21.3 and hide their eyes in 28.7. Then you have those who open their mouths, 31.9, and those who reach out their hands, 31.20. So close their ears, hide their eyes, or open their mouths and reach out their hands. So what's really convicting is you have some people who are foolish because they hurt the poor, the vulnerable. You have some who are the cause for why they're in need. But you also have those who are foolish because they ignore them. You can be unjust by hurting people, but you can also be unjust by failing to help people if you have the resources to help, even if you're not the one who caused the hurt. So the wise, on the other hand, the wise are the ones who open their mouths and reach out their hands they don't close their ears and hide their eyes. They help the vulnerable. We see this reflected. Maybe the most famous story Jesus tells is Luke chapter 10, the Good Samaritan. And somebody asks him, what does loving your neighbor look like? And he tells a story about a man robbed and left for dead. And a priest sees and passes. And a Levite, who's another religious figure, sees and passes. And then a Samaritan, the, the sworn enemy of the Jewish people, sees and stops, sees and helps. What does loving your neighbor look like? Jesus' answer is it looks like seeing a man robbed and left for dead and not saying, I didn't do it, so it's not my problem, but saying, I will help. I will help. Martin Luther King Jr., we celebrated his birthday this week. The last sermon he, he preached was uh, Luke 10, the Good Samaritan. And then he was, uh, shortly after that, uh, was murdered. And he said this in the sermon, the priest and the Levite saw the man and asked this question. If I help this man, what will happen to me? The Samaritan comes by and reverses the question and asks, if I do not help this man, what will happen to him? And according to Jesus, that question is at the heart of what it looks like to love. What will happen if I do nothing? The heart that has our Father's affections, a heart that loves like God, looks at the vulnerable and asks this, how can I help? What can I do? Even if I'm not responsible for the condition, I will make myself a part of the cure. I'm going to make their mess my mess. I'm going to enter in their problems and make them my problems. And that, my friend, should sound like really familiar love. Because it's exactly how we've been loved by Jesus. He sees us in our sins and in our wounds and in the ways we've been hurt and the ways that we've hurt others. And he doesn't close his ears. Where would we be if he had done that? And he doesn't hide his eyes. What would we do if he had hidden his eyes? He knows what happens if he does nothing is that we're destined for death. So he opens his mouth. He doesn't just reach out his hands. He allows his hands to be stretched out and he dies on the cross for my sin and your sin to cleanse us and heal us and forgive us and make us whole. He lays down his very life to be our cure. So Proverbs 19 says something really important. Verse 17, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord. Who's it for? Who's the recipient of the generosity? God is. It reminds me of Jesus when he says in Matthew 25, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you gave me a home. And, and they asked, Jesus, when did, we did the, when did we do this for you? And he says, whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. A people 
who have received the love and forgiveness and healing from Jesus are a people who are eager to offer it to others in Jesus' name, to offer the kind of love that we've received. What I love about Jericho's story and what I'm so grateful that she included is when she describes being healed and helped and restored by God herself and then ends up in prison and sees some of herself and some of her own hurt and some of her own story in these women and instead of retreating, she moves closer to Like she said, so many of whom, before they had done anything criminal, were victimized themselves and taken advantage of themselves, and she sees that, and God awakens something in her, and she opens her mouth, and she reaches out her hands to them with the gospel-empowered confidence that the same God who saved and healed her life eight years ago has not stopped saving and healing. And so she's been faithful to help a people in need, and it's beautiful, and it's just and it's compassionate, and it's so wise. The wise help the vulnerable. Friend, is this part of your life? In a conversation with someone around these passages, could you point uh, to a, a, a vulnerable person? Could you point to a needy people and say, that's the space where I'm being wise in this way. These are the problems that are not my problems, but I've made them my own problems. You saw coming in... Uh, this morning, we have tables in the foyer. Uh, these are a handful of ways our, our church is reaching out our hands. It's not the only way. These are just the ways that, that we wanted to highlight this morning. I want to tell you about them, and, and in telling you, my hope is that for some of us, God stirs in us to be a part. Uh, we have our local outreach table. Um, at Citizens, there are a few groups of, of people who we have identified as people in need, and so it's the impoverished, the incarcerated, and the immigrant. Um, So we have opportunities to minister in both women's and men's correctional facilities. Jerica, who you heard from, oversees that. We also have opportunities to help immigrants. This has taken on different forms at different times. If you remember, last year we had the opportunity to minister to at least uh, three families from Afghanistan who were fleeing uh, war. Uh, Right now we have the opportunity to teach English to people who are new to this country and starting a new life. And there's other ways in which um, God has mobilized us and is sending us into Uh, spaces to help. The hope is to love people and to meet needs and also to have the opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus. Would you consider stopping by our outreach table and see if there's a way that you can help? Um, Another one is African New Life. African New Life is a child sponsorship organization in Rwanda, just in Rwanda. Uh, Rwanda is a country that bears uh, the scars of war and genocide that happened 29 years ago, almost 30 years ago now. And African New Life provides a way for us to sponsor uh, boys and girls. Uh, Boys and girls who are, hear me, the very faces that fit the verses that we've been in all morning. Uh, They experience poverty, a kind of poverty that is just unknown to most, if not all, in this room. And the sponsorship helps them eat and helps them get health care and helps them go to school and helps them get connected to a church. You can write your sponsored child. We take a trip every summer where families can go and meet their sponsored child. Um, We have over 130 children currently sponsored by members of Citizens Church. There are more and more waiting to be sponsored. But we got connected to African New Life through some of our members, Chad and Cassie Lawson. Chad now serves on staff over our sending ministry. He's responsible for so much of what's happening this morning. But in all of that, there is this really beautiful relationship that has formed between the people of Citizens Church and a people in Rwanda 
And I, I don't know how heaven works, but what I wonder is I wonder if we'll get to spend time in eternity for our church here to sit together with our brothers and sisters there and just marvel at the work that God's done in all of our lives together. And we would love for you to be a part of that. Would you stop at that table and see if there's a way to be wise? We have a table for our foster and adoption ministry. Uh, it's really an organic group of families here who are involved in fostering children or who have adopted children. Uh, they meet together uh, regularly to encourage one another and to pray for one another. And here's what we need to know. The men and women in our church who are fostering or who have adopted are the most compassionate, courageous, Christ-like people I know. Some have adopted locally. Some have adopted internationally. Some are fostering babies. Some are fostering teenagers. And it's just remarkable. I, I don't know, modern day, right now, I don't know a better picture of the love Jesus describes in Luke chapter 10, seeing someone and instead of walking by, you stop. Making space in my life to care for someone, to enter into difficulty and suffering for the purpose of providing a home for a precious image bearer of God. It's remarkable. To those families, well done. Well done. God sees you. It is to you, friend that Jesus says, what you do for the least of these, you do for me. Thank you for your faithfulness, for your wisdom, for your compassion. And maybe you're here, uh, and that's been a part of your thoughts. Maybe you're here, and God is beginning to stir a curiosity in you that God might have something like that for you. You're considering maybe entering into that world. I know that they would love to offer help and guidance if you stop by the table. Okay, last, uh, we have two organizations here this morning uh, who help babies and moms. Uh, real options help women in crisis pregnancy offer care and counseling in hopes that uh, the women that they care for will choose life. Uh, there's an organization called One by One. Uh, they provide mentor relationships for moms and dads from, from birth through the first five years of the child's life. So uh, they don't have to navigate those challenging years of parenting alone. And here's why they are here. Um, I know this is them being here reflects something about our conviction as Christians that I need to just name. And I know it's an incredibly controversial thing to talk about. I know not everyone in the room agrees with what I'm about to say. It, it grieves me to think that what might happen this morning is some will leave today and never come back because they'll hear all of this as something other than love. But it, it, if our Father's affections are for the vulnerable, at this moment in world history, the most vulnerable human is an unborn baby. Statistically, the most endangered among us are the unborn. It's the leading cause of death in America. Every 30 seconds, a child is aborted. And what the science tells us is there's clear signs of life that begin around or before the time when most abortions happen. Heartbeat, fingerprint, organs working. And what the science substantiates is what we find in the Bible where God will speak about what's happening in the womb as an act of God. It's when God begins giving light to the eyes. The psalmist says in Psalm 139, you knit me together in my mother's womb. There are several instances where the Bible will talk about God's presence being with a child in the womb. God already acting in the life of a child in utero. It's a life. It's a life. From it's a human made in God's image, with dignity, worth protecting. Like I, I read Proverbs 31.9 this week for the first time. Open your mouth, defend the rights of the poor and needy. And I immediately thought of all the voiceless children 
that need someone to speak up for them. And that church, that's our job. Um, every child from conception is made in the image of God. And, and what we're saying is they deserve a chance. They deserve a chance. They deserve to breathe and run and make friends and make mistakes and lose games and have dreams and have a birthday party and hopefully know Jesus. And all who bear the name of Jesus should speak up for the most vulnerable among us. And the most vulnerable among us are the unborn. That's our job, church. And with that, every pregnant woman deserves to be treated with care and support and kindness and help. What is so challenging about this issue so often is in, in our conversation around it, it so often has a way of pitting the vulnerable against the vulnerable. You know what I mean by that? A, a vulnerable child pitted against their vulnerable mother. 75% of women considering an abortion say they would choose life and prefer to parent if their life circumstances were just a little better. And then as many of them describe a little better, it's financial. It's if I had a mentor, if I had someone to help me write a resume, if I had someone to help me find an apartment, if I had someone who could answer my questions, if I just had someone who would take me to coffee, if there was someone who would just throw me a baby shower. You hear that? They're saying, I would choose life if someone would just choose me and just help me, if someone would open up their mouth for me, if someone would reach out their hands to me. And that church is our job to be the helping hands, not just to protect babies, but to love moms, to love dads if they're in the picture. And that's the work these organizations are doing. That's the work that many in our church are doing alongside them. And look, I know that there are people, even Christians, it's a shame. I know that there are some who are not pro-life, they're just anti-abortion. Like this is just a political talking point, but they're not holistically pro-life. They don't actually care about people, they just care about winning arguments. They're not womb to tomb pro-life. I know those people exist, I just know very few of them. More of what I know and see and admire are all the people who are trying to faithfully represent God's heart by loving all involved and extending grace and speaking truth in a way that makes our, our Father's affections visible. So would you consider helping? Would you go to the table for either of those wonderful organizations and just ask, what needs can I meet? Okay, goodness. We've talked about a lot. Um, it's intentional. I want you to know this. There's a convictional reason to put all of this on one Sunday. And that reason is, I think it's important for us to see how these application points, whether it's honoring the image of God and all people, helping those in need, it's important for us as Christians to see how all of that goes back to the heart of God, that it all finds its theological home in the compassionate heart of a God who upholds the widow and the fatherless. But two categories of people just have come to my mind as a pastor. Um, the first is you're here and in some way God is stirring your heart towards faithful action. Uh, the wise honor the image of God in all people. The wise help the vulnerable. And so God is stirring in you the faithful action of repentance where there's been conviction. God is stirring in you the faithful action of, of committing to meet needs that you're not currently meeting. God is stirring in you the faithful action of saying, right now I don't have an answer to the question of what vulnerable people am I helping. And so I'm going to come up with that answer. I'm going to be faithful to stay and help and serve. Or maybe for you, you're serving in a way we mentioned or you're serving in a way I didn't mention. And what God wants you to hear this morning is keep going. I see you. It's worth it. 
The wise honor the image of God in all people. The wise help the vulnerable. And so we should all respond to those truths in, in ways that are wise, in ways that are obedient. Then there's another group, and we'll end here, um, where with all that you've heard, all the sensitive, tender, personal things we've talked about, what you would say is, I need help. Uh, I, I feel like I'm the one in a mess. I'm the vulnerable. Like every year we talk about this, there's somebody sitting here where abortion is a part of your story. You never talked about it. And I don't know the circumstances. I'm sure you were so scared. I don't know what help you did or didn't have. But I know Jesus. And I know of a time when a woman was brought to him who everyone wanted to throw stones at. And Jesus, instead of throwing stones, lifted her face and looked with love in her eyes and said, I don't condemn you. I don't condemn you. And I don't know what you carry or what you think about you. But I know that because of the grace and mercy of Jesus, you are not your worst moment. And maybe you're here and you're carrying something, some shame some way you've been sinned against. Maybe we read the Proverbs about a predator and about the vulnerable being devoured, and you say, I know what that's like, and I wish I didn't. I know what it's like to be preyed on. And I know it's not the main thing we talked about today, but it might be the thing you thought about this morning. And if that's you, would you please hear me? Our Father's affections are for you. You are included in the group of people that his mouth is open for and his hands are reaching out towards. He loves you. He wants to heal you. And I can say this with all of the confidence in my heart. Where you are right now, friend, you are among a people here at Citizens Church who would love to help you who would love to come alongside you, who would love to sit and listen, who would love to grieve with you, who would love to think wisely and generously and graciously about what God has for you. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. Um, it, it's every Sunday now, God, but I just feel um, the limits of what a mere mortal can achieve in a moment like this. And so what we're asking, God, is we're asking that you would um, take, Lord, your word, your truth, and it would go out and it would fall in the hearts of your people, God, in a way that brings change, that it would fall on the heart of the idol, that it would fall on the heart of the proud, that it would fall on the heart of the apathetic and it would stir God to wise, faithful action. God, your heart is too clear and this life is too short to spend everything we have on ourselves, to exhaust all of our resources building anything other than your kingdom. But the opportunity to give the world in the present a picture of the world that is coming, a world where there are no widows or orphans or poor or needy, and Lord, would your word go out and would it fall like freedom, God, on a heart that's feeling shame, on a heart that's feeling lost, on a heart that's feeling, Lord, that, that some in the room, God, that they would reflect back on this time and they would think, you know, the only thing I heard was that there is a Father in heaven who loves me. Lord, that maybe some could years from now point back to this date and they would say in this moment what the Spirit of God did 
was he begin to lead, stir, and the outcome of that was faithful, compassionate work, help. Lord, that some could point back to, to this time years from now and they would say it was just the beginning in some ways of, of God ministering to wounds in my soul and hurts in my heart. What we can't do, God, is we can't leave unmoved. We can't. And, and so where anything was lacking on my part, God, I just pray that you would uh, compensate, Lord, by a powerful move of your spirit among your people. We love you. Amen.